You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. But we have been going through a series on the Gospel of Luke, and today we find ourselves in Luke 10, 8 through 16, which feels like a rather unpositive verse, but it adds some odd things to the ideas of judgment. And when I mean judgment, I mean the day of the Lord, which is a day far beyond us, down the road, when God comes back to judge the world. And the general evangelical view that we always espouse and is generally correct is that um, there's a view of kind of like heaven and hell and that um, everybody faces judgment where all of their sins are exposed and then it seems assigned to one of those places. But the Bible has a kind of weird view on this subject. There are some verses that kind of catch your eye and, and force you to think a little harder than just like just these like very simplified version that I just said. And this is one of those passages that we come across. So Jesus sends his disciples out. We did this passage two weeks ago. Jesus sends his disciples out and tells them to do ministry, to go to towns. And if the towns reject him, they're to shake the dust off of their feet and move along. But the way that Jesus phrases it is odd. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe it off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom. What? It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre than Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, shall you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. More bearable. What does that mean? <laughs> Is there like a range of judgment because when we hear a passage like this like it, it it already messes with our view of like heaven hell like we think it's one thing or the other which seems to match many biblical passages but then you get this this other thing where it's like more bearable that doesn't sound like heaven that that doesn't sound like the same thing of hell and so you you get these weird middle passages where you say what what do i do with that and we have a lot of questions that we ask about salvation. You've probably asked them at some point in your life, if you've been a Christian for a long time, like what happens to people who have never heard the gospel before? You've probably had questions like that. Or what about really good people who are trying to uh, do really good things and they show all the fruit of the kinds of things God cares about? What, 
What do you do with that? What about people of other religions, but they seem to be following um, like a love kind of way of living their lives? What, what do you do about that? And then you come across passages like this that are just, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Absolutely. Right here, you, you have that going on. But more bearable, that throws in a confusing thing. More bearable for Sodom. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible is like kind of considered like a pinnacle of judgment within the Bible. The Bible, for the rest of the Bible, it's going to reference that event as like the day where God shows up, you weren't expecting it, and suddenly things are just over. So the Bible writers are always going to remember that moment as like that ultimate day of the Lord that is to come. Sodom and Gomorrah foreshadows like a day where God just shows up. But then you look at an ultimate day like Sodom and Gomorrah, and you're like, they'll be judged less harsh? What? What do I, what do, I do with that? Because Jesus, Jesus thinks to himself, like, look, if I had gone to Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. They would have seen my mighty works, and, and they actually would have changed things around. But you guys, I come to you, and you reject me. You reject me to my face. I am God in flesh, and I walk up, and you reject me. That, that on Jesus' scale is like a, a different kind of rejection, a, a greater kind of sin. All the evidence of, of the Messiah is right in front of them, and they miss it. So what do you do? with weird passages like this. It's helpful to understand the, the Bible's view of, of what's going on when you're going to get into um, things of judgment. We were made to live on earth forever with God in his presence. That's where the Bible starts. Interestingly enough, that's where the Bible ends, which means this age right now where we die, this age right now where sin has corrupted things, that's that's off from the view of what God wanted. He wants us to live forever. He wants us to live in his presence. He wants us to do good things, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth until the whole earth looks like Eden, until it's in Jackson as it is in heaven, in Ann Arbor as it is in heaven, in the United States as it is in heaven, until the entire world looks like heaven. That's, that's the long game. But we've thrown a wrench into it. Sin has come into the world, and now we die. And since sin has come into the world, we have something to be judged for. We have something to, to keep records of. That when we fall short of what God wanted, those things are, are off from the point. Things no longer are good. We've perverted the goodness that God made to make something evil or less good or bad, whatever word you want to assign to it, those kinds of things God keeps record of. Because one day he brings out those books on the day of judgment to say, here it is. Here's your whole life written out, the good, the bad, the ugly. And on that day, you have good things exposed for all to see. Jesus told the Pharisees, like, you know, if, if you're going to pray the right way, don't go out and make a big deal of it in front of everybody, blowing trumpets like, I will pray, come forth and watch me. Jesus goes and says, no, no, no. If you're going to pray the right way, go behind closed doors and pray in there. God will reward you for those kinds of things. See, on the day of judgment, I think the good things are exposed. Here's the ways in which this person has lived their life for me. Here's the generosity that this person gave that nobody ever knew about because they did it 
quietly and in secret. They were not doing it for their own pride. Here's the kind of fasting that this person did. Here's the, the way in which this person really impacted their community, walking around to these food banks and serving the poor. You see the time that this person literally took their coat off and gave it to a homeless person who needed it on a cold day. On the Day of Judgment, I think you see those things exposed, the good stuff. But likewise, there's the bad stuff, and you have lots of warning passages in the New Testament of that. Uh, one day, we will no longer be able to hide from the bad stuff. I think that's all the more reason the Bible calls us into things like confession and forgiveness. It wants us to deal with it before that moment. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, he was writing a letter to someone, and he he kind of like imagined that day of judgment and thought to himself, what if when we get to that point, we find out that we've already all forgiven each other? <laughs> and like God brings us forward and says, here's the way uh, in which this person's sins have impacted things. And the other person in the court who's been impacted by it stands up and says, yes, but I've already forgiven that. Before this moment... You asked me to create space in this, this council room to forgive that, and I've forgiven that. Can you imagine that? It's hard to imagine. We catch glimpses of it. Forgiveness can make people angry. When somebody stands up in a courtroom and decides to hug the person who's killed their brother, people don't know what to do with that. Some are weeping, some are angry, some are somewhere in the middle, going across a whole gamut of feelings. When the Amish have a shooter come into their school and take out their children, and yet the Amish decide to pay for the funeral, to raise up a scholarship, to take care of the kids that are left behind of the shooter, and then love the family through that, like, what do you do with that? That day of judgment when that court case comes up, like, how does that get handled in heaven? Well, that's what Christians are doing. We're trying to pull people out of bondage already, right now. God's the one who will ultimately hold them responsible, but when we try to do it, we hurt ourselves. We get caught up in the bondage with them. And when we remove ourselves and forgive people the debt they owe us, perhaps in heaven, when God calls us forward to the stand to attest to something someone else has done, maybe we have already started to foster that loving world of the resurrection. Because that's where we're headed. Maybe you are changing things ahead of time. But nothing can be hidden. God sees it all. He's meticulous about us. He loves us. He takes care of the good people and the wicked people. The Bible tells us straight about that. He loves us very much, but we should never get so comfortable in God's love that we think that it is giving us reason to sin. Well, he's not doing anything about it now, so I can get away with it. In fact, uh, there's one Old Testament prophet that called people out on that very thing. Don't think that just because God has not addressed what you have going on, that he does not care about it. 
And so we must be adamant to move forward, not just to be saved, not just to be Christians who have prayed the prayer and gotten in and, and that's it. But the Bible calls us to something much more fruitful than that. A life that is is pouring out for the people around us, forgiving the people around us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of God becoming manifest in us. A church that starts nonprofits to take care of the poor, a church that tries to make it in their cities as it is in heaven, a church that is trying to practice the way that Jesus speaks and thinks and acts, and a church that, that is really working on on chiseling its mind to figure out how to live in the 21st century, where there are many things that the Bible does not address. What do you do with things like AI and robots and 8 million hot topics that nobody throughout history has ever had to think about before? What do you do with that? We find out as we continue to press into what God is calling us to, as we continue to live in Garden of Eden in God's presence, to make the Garden of Eden that is to come manifest right now. Because one day God will come back, and he will judge, and he will empty everyone out before his throne. It's another strange passage in Revelation. Revelation 20, 11 through 15, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. For whatever reason... The whole underworld where the dead go, if not to heaven, everyone who has ever lived will be emptied out before God's throne. Not just those who are in heaven to say, all right, you're in the end, but also those who are not in heaven, but in the Bible's perspective of Sheol or Hades, not hell. Hell is the lake of fire that is to come. Hell is not happening yet. That is later in the biblical, biblical narrative. Why? Why would you empty out everything? That's one of the questions I often have with Revelation. Like, if you're in heaven or Sheol, don't you already know where your destination is? And it could be correct. That could be the case. But God still empties it out for judgment. And sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder if you might have someone in Sheol who really did live their lives wanting to fill the world with love and do the kinds of things that Jesus cared about, but, but they didn't know Jesus. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Is it possible on the day of judgment that Jesus might look to someone in Sheol and say, you lived your whole life wanting to do the kinds of things that I care about. That was in you because you're made in my image and you really plugged into my image. But you didn't choose me then. Will you choose me now? I'm standing right in front of you. You see that I am real. Maybe. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Could that happen on the day of judgment? Maybe. We have no idea. The only thing we know for sure is that you only have this life to figure it out. But 
could we leave some space in the grace of God and the weirdness of the way judgment is explained to say, maybe? I don't know. You can't stake your life on it. There's no verse that gives you a for sure, but maybe. Maybe it's in this moment where you've got people who cannot comprehend the gospel because they're dealing with mental disability or a fetus or an infant or a baby that could not rationally get the gospel yet. Maybe this is the moment where Jesus brings them in or Jesus gives them the chance to choose him. Maybe there's someone living on that desert island that we always say, what about the person on a desert island who will never hear the gospel and never could hear the gospel? Well, maybe this is the moment. Maybe. All we know is God is gracious. All we know is God wants everybody to be saved. All we know is that God will judge us by the books that he pulls out. And if you're in the book of life, you're solid, but... Sometimes I wonder that other book, what is Jesus going through in that other book? Is it simply to say, here's everything uh, that you did wrong, see ya? Maybe. Or is the court conversation a little wider than that, to say, I am Jesus, I am grace? Maybe. Whatever the case, we find ourselves in a conundrum because we... Um, come across to the rest of the world as Christians we come across to the rest of the world as people just running around saying you're all going to hell do it our way or you're screwed which I understand we have a bunch of passages that kind of point that direction but can we find a better way to have these conversations can we find a better way to say Jesus is gracious and I see the way that you're living and 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 I, I think you don't realize this but you're already following Jesus could, could you just, could I intrigue you to, to see who he is, that you might be able to finish that, that task? Can I tell you a bit more about him? Because when I see the way that you love your kids, man, that, the Bible talks about God being a father, and that's the way that, that he loves us. And I think you're really imaging God well when you love your kids the way you do. That's a much different way than walking around with picket signs saying you're all going to hell. I'm always fascinated by that documentary where people are doing the picket sign things and someone comes up and interviews them or like, how long have you been doing this? Or is this ever effective? Well, I haven't seen anybody saved by it yet, but I've only been doing it for like eight years. It's like, okay, probably not effective. Well, it's worked for some other people. Okay, maybe in a different time, but it's not working for you. We don't try to uh, force people into heaven like crusade style. We go around and we help them understand it. Hey, I've realized that you um, care a lot about justice. Uh, that, that happens to be something that God cares about too. So much so that as Christians, we define Jesus as justice. Uh, and that one day, um, you know, Everybody keeps asking, I bet you've asked, God, why do bad things happen? And the answer throughout the Bible is God saying, I'm going to take care of it one day when I bring about ultimate justice. Right now, the world is kind of making its own decisions, but one day I will judge it for that. 
And so just like you care about justice, I recognize God cares about justice. And really, when we're talking about heaven and hell, that's, that's just what we're talking about, trying to figure out justice. Because we do recognize that there are some people that truly have just given themselves over to such evils that they will have to face justice in a different way than heaven. It's not a positive thing. Nobody's happy about it. God's not happy about it. Peter said that God wishes everyone would be saved. God's not out like, I just can't wait to punish people. That's not God. But there are some people who are unrepentant, some people who continue to oppress and hurt and ground themselves in pride to the point that they just can't come out of it. When that day of judgment comes, God will not put up with that kind of stuff. I don't think he'll put up with it with Christians either. It's a scary verse in the Bible where uh, Jesus says some disciples will come up to him on the day of judgment and be like, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal people? Did we not do things with the Holy Spirit? And Jesus says what to them? Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I don't know who you are. Those are convicting. They remind us we can't just keep going on, committing all of our sins and ruining the world and not installing heaven and not living out the fruit of the Spirit. We need to turn to Jesus. We need to become more like him. And at the same time, you need to not get caught up in that, that fear that drives you into thinking that you, you're going to be judged and that you're headed to hell because that will not get you anywhere. Stand secure that Jesus has justified you, that he has saved you, that he has redeemed you. But also call your church to account. Call them to be people of justice. What a tragedy that throughout the last 2,000 years God's holy church has been the perpetrator of such incredible sins. We need to stand in a place where we call each other to grace, but we also need to stand in a place where we recognize when we fall short. God is headed, bringing the world to a place where everything is put right, where we get back to the Garden of Eden. And honestly, that's, that's a lot of the um, conversation around heaven and hell. Like I said before, hell in the Bible is not a place that currently exists. There's Hades, which is an underworld, not hell. And then there's heaven. And one day everything faces the day of judgment. And then on that day uh, is assigned to heaven or hell. And heaven is eternal life with God back on the earth, not in some place up in the skies. Heaven is the new Eden, the new earth, the new creation, whereas hell is something that extinguishes, that perishes things that go into it. It's something that was supposed to get rid of immortal beings like Satan. Jesus himself says that hell was created for Satan and his angels. So you've got one thing that goes on to eternal life and one thing that goes on to eternal death. The thing that determines what thing you are finding yourself in is Jesus Christ, the only human who ever got it right because he was God 
has been exalted to God's throne and has called us to follow him and get back on track to living the right ways to fill the earth with goodness and love. Well, that's the, the vision that we're called to. And I realize a lot of times we don't like to talk about topics like this in church. Um, rightfully so. A lot of people get this one super messed up. It's possible some of you have even heard me say things with a tone that I didn't even mean simply because you've heard it thrown off in the past and now you hear me in, in the trauma of this conversation of the past. I'm not here to frighten you. I'm not here to, to scare you. I'm, I'm here to call you toward love, toward Jesus. I'm here to call you to leave your sin behind, to walk toward justice. I'm here to call me to the same thing. We are all struggling. Nobody becomes fully Christian overnight. Nobody is metamorphosed to the fullness of resurrection at the same time that they pray that prayer. We have to keep following God, keep pushing forward, not only so that we would go to heaven, but so that we would reap a reward within that weird spectrum of heaven and hell. For some, apparently, in hell, it is really bad, and then others, it's more bearable, whatever that means. But in heaven, for the Christian, for some... It is paradise, and for others, they reap a reward beyond that. What does that mean? Nobody knows. <laughs> Jesus didn't spell it all out very clearly. But that, that is what we are walking toward. So live your day as though that day matters. That's what it means to fear God. And if you really want to know his grace, know the stories that Jesus just said. It would be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was, was like that mega focus of judgment, and yet even they might find themselves better off. That's, that's grace. Tyre and Sidon. For Tyre? Tyre is a place in the Old Testament that is likened to Satan's origin story. Tyre in the Old Testament is the place that is likened to Satan's origin story. It will be better off for Tyre? <laughs> what does that even mean? That's a pretty low depth to hit, but apparently God, when he's looking at the records, has a way of, in his omniscience, knowing how to judge perfectly. So... God, we come before you now, and I think of my own life. I think of how I was just lost in the shame spiral for an increasing amount of years. And when we hit the pandemic, I just bottomed out. With the pandemic, it seemed like anything anybody was dealing with was magnified tenfold. And for me, it was this fear, what if I'm not saved? What if I'm not good enough? And that exploded in my life, and I bottomed out. And you had to save me from that. You had to pull me out of that mess and heal me from it. Because that way of thinking, that way of living is not helpful. And I realized in that moment, just as uh, Alyssa was sharing the story earlier, Satan was just always coming and accusing me over and over and over and over again. Satan tempts me to despair. And you were calling me to put my eyes on Christ. And when I did that, I became clear-headed. 
I suddenly knew my identity as a child of God. I suddenly recognized that on the day of judgment, I'm in the clear. And at the same time, I still had the drive to say, I want to live so well in this life that, that uh, um, I might really make an impact on it and that God might see my life as worthy as whatever a reward even is beyond that. Not for myself, but just because I know that storing up treasure in heaven is what really matters. Just because I know that living for eternity is what matters. So Jesus, don't let us get caught up in the shame cycle. That, that only drags us closer to hell because we feel stuck in our sin and we can't get out. Bring us toward the fullness of what you're calling us to. Teach us to passionately pour ourselves out that we might go beyond um, the simplicity of praying prayers, but, but really impacting our world. And just as we sang in that first song today, uh, hell lost another one. May we see that in Jackson as it is in heaven, in our neighborhoods. As people come by and they find ourselves drawn to our church, those who might find themselves in a different book of heaven right now, that they might be pulled out of it and written into another. May their names be scratched out of, of books of judgment and put into the book of life where Jesus covers a multitude of sins. And may we lean into the gracious God, the gracious Jesus who can actually see Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon as places that um, uh, are on some kind of a scale within heaven. Because your grace covers it in a different kind of way. May we not come across as those Christians who are just always pointing fingers and saying horrible things to people, but as people who are, are lovingly trying to invite people into the, uh, into the gospel. You know the church has done a weird job and often a bad job on this topic. Teach us to do it right. And for anyone here who um, has not received Jesus, who's not currently following him, you are welcome to make that decision right now, in your heart, <laughs> uh, in your mind. You can say the, say the things in your mind, but when you claim faith to Jesus, you're not just saying, I believe in Jesus. The word faith in, in the Bible, it has a lot of different meanings to it. It means faith, belief, faithfulness to Jesus, allegiance to Jesus, following Jesus. These are the kinds of things that you are agreeing to when you decide that you want to walk into his world, the book of life, and filling up the world with heaven now. So just offer your life to him. If that's the case, say, Jesus, I, I want to give allegiance to you. I want to live like you. I want to act like you. Not just because I'm afraid of you, but because I see that you are love and I want to love better. Give our hearts to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.